1: Coming up on this week's show, Paramount Plus gobbles up more soccer rights, our review of the new Pele documentary from Netflix, NBC finally pays attention to Leicester this season, news about more soccer leagues coming to streaming, find out how to win a $100 gift certificate to World Soccer Shop, plus we have letters from you listeners in our mailbag section. I'm Christopher Harris, a.k.a. The Gaffer, joined alongside my co-host, uh, Kartik Krishnayer. And we're getting breaking news right now as we're recording this on Wednesday night. Most people listening to this, it'll be on Thursday or maybe even Friday. But uh, big news coming out, and that is, is that uh, Paramount Plus... Is it's a war, Kartik? We we talked about it last week or the week before, like two weeks ago, about the streaming wars of 2021 and how the big players, the big media giants, the the Disneys, the ESPNs, the CBS or Viacom CBS, Viacom. Yeah. Uh, NBC, Paramount, etc., etc., are looking to soccer to acquire those rights and move most of those games to streaming. And and some television for sure, but uh, uh, I'll, I'll have you kick it off in terms of just talking about the latest news that just uh, just broke.
2: Yes, uh, Viacom striking hard with Paramount Plus, which we know launches next month, and we've seen lots of uh, lots of uh, promotion of it. Uh, and in fact, anytime you log into CBS All Access, they. They make you get rid of the cursory reminder that they're becoming Paramount Plus uh, in early March uh, before you can go on and watch other things. Well, uh, just before we we began to record, Chris, the news broke, and uh, both of you and I are awaiting the press release in our inbox. So we don't even, this is how hot off the press it is. Uh, Via Twitter, we learned that Paramount Plus uh, has acquired the the rights uh, for the U.S. market to. Uh, the Bras- Brasileiro, to the Argentine League, uh, to the CONCACAF Nations League, and to CONCACAF qualifiers that are not hosted by the U.S. and Mexico. Uh, remember, their, their deal is separate and, and, and handled through Soccer United Marketing. So uh, this also means that there will be no complaints about being in this time because it seems like every time we go through uh, U.S., Men's World Cup qualifying people are complaining about being having matches against the Hondurases, the El Salvador's, the Canada's, uh, the Panama's, etc. This time, those matches... Will be on Paramount Plus. They will be more accessible to to the masses, and uh, this is a uh, this is a lethal strike. Obviously, ESPN is the kind of the incumbent, the leader in the clubhouse. If, if you want to use a golf analogy, but uh, this is a, a late charge on, on the uh, on the back nine for Paramount Plus. This is uh, this puts them in the game big time, and I think clearly establishes them, Chris as the number two in terms of uh, uh, soccer content in the United States uh, behind ESPN. And, and, and it's going to be quite a battle. Uh, NBC is, is left way behind.
1: Yeah. So, so just to recap, so it's the English language rights to the uh, qualifiers uh, for CONCACAF uh, leading up to World Cup 2022. Um for those games outside the U.S. and Mexico, so in the past it would have been, I mean, the U.S. USA against Trinidad or USA against Costa Rica, etc. Those games, and you're right, Carter. Those games, uh, oftentimes, almost always were on Bean Sports, and then you've also got the um, the qualifiers too for the uh, the women the Concacaf qualifiers for the 2023 Women's World Cup, which will be um, hosted by Australia and New Zealand. So you've got a a chance to watch a lot of those U.S. women's national team games. In addition to the English language uh, broadcast of the Argentine League, which is the Argentine uh, Primera division, and the uh, Brasileiro, which is the uh, the Brazilian League, again, English language. So the Brazilian League and the Argentine League, uh, I mean, you've got your... I mean, your River, your Boca, your, you've got your Flamengo, you've got Sa- uh, Sao Paulo, etc., etc. Corinthians, uh, Gremio. I mean, there's some big heavyweights there. Um, but those, we know that there is interest. There is a, a an avid fan base among um, soccer fans in the U.S. And, and neutrals that are interested in that. It's not going to be record-breaking numbers for CBS by any means, but uh, it's nice pickups. It, it's, it, it increases the, the wealth of streaming uh, leagues and competitions that they have. But really, I mean, the big one is, is the U.S. men and the U.S. women. women. And it makes you wonder, Karthik, or it makes me wonder if, based on this, based on this one development, if CBS would actually go after the Major League Soccer rights. Right. Because we know that the the MLS rights are combined with uh, the U.S. uh, men and women. Um, They're coming up for bids next year, probably the the latter half of of, uh, 2022. We'll know by that by that point who will have the rights. And CBS, based on this, I I think that's a good indication that, that, that they'll go for it, at least at least try to get those rights or a portion of those rights. What do you think?
2: Yeah. I, I absolutely think that they're in the mix for the MLS rights. Oh, uh, we neglected to mention NWSL. Obviously, I think that was a given. NWSL and Champions League and Europa League, and then obviously the UEFA Conference League, uh, which starts next uh, season. Uh, that those were, those were givens, right? That's already um, that, that those are already on CBS. UEFA Conference League is launching next season because that is actually the natural beginning of the new television deal. Remember what CBS is airing now uh, was part of Turner's deal. So their actual uh, the contract that they, they bid for and won would begin next year with this new competition. And uh, also the Conference League NWSL will also be on uh, Paramount Plus. But I think they're absolutely a player for uh, MLS. I, I, I've kind of thought that for a while now. Uh, this is a big move now that they're uh, now that they're. They've secured CONCACAF rights. They're going to continue to have NWSL rights. Uh, Argentina and Brazil give them more kind of content for Cosmopolitan football fans, Cosmopolitan soccer fans. But for the uh, um, core American fan, they have NWSL, and now they have CONCACAF, uh, a lot of CONCACAF competitions, international competitions. So MLS is a natural, potentially a natural fit, or or some portion of the MLS deal. We know MLS won't go uh, completely behind a paywall on one network, or we at least assume that.
1: Yeah, and we know that they're um, trying to get the Serie A rights, the Italian Serie A rights. Whether yeah. they get, they'll get they get that or not, we won't know. Um, we'll find out in the next few weeks whether or not uh, they're able to get it or if uh, ESPN renews it or if somebody else gets it for next season onwards. And then there's the Premier League rights that we know they're up for bid and um, those will be coming up soon. We should know by the summer at the latest. Uh, who those rights will go to. Uh, and, and there's always other rights available too. So th- this is a, a huge shot from the bow by Paramount Plus. I think for some people who are thinking, like, ah, it's going to be ESPN, ESPN's going to be gobbling up everything. Well, here's an indication of how serious Paramount Plus is. And if, if you have CPS All access, it will automatically change over to Paramount Plus on March 4th. You don't have to do anything. You'll be able to log in with your CBS All Access login details. Uh, but this is this is a big story, Kartik, and and, and I am sure we'll be hearing more and more from CBS uh, regarding this in the coming days. And and I'm sure we'll have a lot of coverage at WorldSoccerTalk.com. Kartik, so uh, big news this week also was uh, the new documentary that was released on Tuesday. Uh, it's called P- uh, Pele. It's, um, available exclusively from Netflix and, uh, it's a little bit long. It's an hour and a 45 minutes, but, uh, I, I know you do. I, I do too. I mean, we both love documentaries. What do you think about this one?
2: Yeah, I, I thought it was interesting. I mean, it's difficult not to compare it to the Maradona documentary documentary that came out well, a year and a half ago now, the premiere, uh, was, uh, was here in Miami and so it was September of of 2019 so yeah it's 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 pretty fresh off the uh, process and obviously the interim period Maradona has passed away so uh, maybe I'm a little cloudy because I'm viewing it through that lens and I as a documentary I think it was it it was well done it tried to uh, uh, really tell the story of of what Pele meant to Brazil in the context of uh, 1958, you know, 1950 they lose the World Cup final, or that well, wasn't the final, but they, they lose. They, uh, they, they didn't get the result they needed against Uruguay in the final match at the Maracanã to, uh, to win the World Cup, so Uruguay wins the World Cup on Brazilian soil. A big rival wins on Brazilian soil and kind of the the view of Pelé through the lens of nationalism, and then particularly after 1964, and that government is in power in Brazil, the lens of nationalism. And the thing that I find, since since we're talking about Pelé and Maradona, and those are the natural comparisons, and I'm also comparing documentaries. I think the thing that I I can appreciate coming out of this documentary is that uh, Maradona was incredibly political, right? He was incredibly outspoken about issues and politics and American imperialism and those sorts of uh, themes and, and socialism, right? He was a socialist. He was a classic Latin American socialist. And and, uh, and, and he wore that on his sleeves. And, and that, that kind of uh, followed him in, in, in Italy at, at Napoli. And it just interestingly enough, uh, I was just watching Uh, CNN's documentary in the Stanley Tucci Italy series that they're doing. And and he starts in in Napoli and I'm, I'm watching that and he's talking about Margarita pizza and I'm thinking about Maradona (laughs) because it's it's Napoli, right? (laughs) So um, Pele doesn't quite elicit that level of emotion. me.
1: Um, I I think it's different though, because it's one of those things that the the Maradona documentary, which if you haven't seen it, it's called, I think it's called Maradona, right? Or Diego Maradona. It's available on HBO Max but but the unique thing about that one to me it's completely different the unique thing about that one was that they had footage which which was unbelievable they had so much footage behind the scenes it's almost as if like that the film crew for that one said okay let's go back in time to like 1986 uh and onwards and anywhere maradona goes diego goes we'll bring a camera and we'll 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 record things behind private behind the scenes things and with Pele and, and and other superstars, you know. I mean, there's. Um, I mean, th- that didn't happen with Maradona. There was that basically. Basically, with Maradona, were, they had that footage. With, with Pele, they don't. So it's a different type of documentary. I mean, to me, this is more about really the story of Brazil. Really, yeah, the story yeah. of the country itself and the political change and how Brazil was put on the map through soccer and how so many of us uh, view Brazil through the lens of soccer. I mean, if if Brazil, Brazil had never been a world power in soccer, what would our thoughts be about that country? We probably know very little about it for the most part. I mean, the average person... Um, and and that that that's how I view this one. It it, it is different. Uh, to me, it was a joy seeing uh, Pele. I mean, we don't get to see him that much uh, anymore on television. Anytime time we do see him in the last say decade, it's often a, a sponsorship opportunity, whether it's Subway or I don't know Visa. Back in the nineteen ninety four World Cup, I mean, it's usually kind of a just a very unnatural setting and and this was really interesting watching him talking to his friends having lunch um, and showing his emotions and actually watching a lot of footage of these different World Cups that he played in uh, at the same time that he's watching it he's in a room watching the footage and we're watching him watching the footage it's it's a very uh, voyeuristic uh, aspect and that I enjoyed because you mean you can see him getting choked up, you can see him kind of holding his head, I'm like, and like and we're seeing that and seeing the game too at the same time. I thought that was really well done in terms of that technique.
2: Yeah, that, that reminded me a lot of uh, Soccer Box, which is the show that Gary Neville hosts on Sky where he'll sit with Ian Wright or whoever, Ryan Giggs, and they'll watch an old match. Um, one of the things, though, one of the reasons I bring up the whole Maradona documentary is because this was a, this was effectively a documentary about Brazil and how we view Brazil, and I completely agree with that. Uh, two points. One is about Maradona. In the sit-down footage with Maradona and just the archival footage of Maradona, he's so anxious to talk about politics. Whereas these sit-downs with Pele, right, which are real time, right, which are now, um, he's uh, he's kind of dancing around everything. And I think he knows deep down inside. You can see it in his face that he was used a bit as a pawn at that time. Um, To promote Brazil and promote the government, particularly, as I said, after 64, particularly in the 70 World Cup, which was arguably the greatest international side of all time. It wasn't just him, but um, that that team. So I, I, I thought about India When I watched that portion, because I was thinking, you know what, India now has modernized and is now a a, a rapidly developing nation and economic power. But for most of my lifetime, or at least half of my lifetime, my childhood, the only thing anybody knew about India was if they were a cricket fan. They would have no interest or, or, or knowledge of India. Uh, outside of being a a cricket fan. And and those were mostly English people, right, and Australians. So I thought about that in in the context of Brazil as I'm watching this. It's like, you know, that's how India used to be viewed. A lot of us would not care about Brazil – at all, a lot of people in the West uh, in Western Europe and in, in the United States would not even think about Brazil if it wasn 't for football, so uh, I kind of related to me as a person of of, of Indian origin uh, because I think that 's the way India was very much viewed until recently. It was viewed completely through the context of cricket and maybe Bollywood movies if people were interested in that
1: right and, and, and gandhi and, and, and that 's right, right right but, but, but that 's the thing though about this film. I thought it was a little bit unfair on Pele. Where they they made that argument, where they had the journalists saying that uh, uh, Pele's, you mean, silence or so Pele's um, meeting with uh, the president uh, Medici and, and, and meeting with these figureheads and these these dictators um, put him in into a scenario where he should have said something. He should have, you mean, either opposed uh, meeting with them or or did something, and instead he was silent. to, to me. Me personally, I think that, that was a little bit unfair. Just because, I mean, he's a he's one person. Yes, he has an enormous influence, but um, by if he had chosen not to go to meet with the president or the dictator, um, which he may have done at times, he may have decided not to, to actually meet with them. But I mean, it was a publicity stunt for for the dictator. I think Pelé was kind of in a difficult situation where if he had said no, he he probably seems to be very humble. He he probably would not want to make a big fuss about it and would probably just say, OK, well, I said no and uh, no's a no and I'm not going to have a, a press conference about it. I'm not going to go ahead and, and write an article or have someone uh, interview me about it. So I, I just thought it was difficult. He was in a difficult situation anyway, uh, given the prominence that he had. Uh, I was okay. Personally, I was okay in terms of of what he did, which he was concentrating on as a professional athlete. And that was the thing about this this documentary. It really shined a light on the immense pressure and expectations put on him, not only just by the the government and the dictators uh, wanting um, Brazil to win, of course, because it made them look good, but also by the people, the fans, uh, the country, the media immense pressure on this one individual to kind of try to st- stay sane, rise above it, which he did. Um, just I, I think it's worth watching. Definitely. I, I really enjoyed this one, Kartik.
2: Yeah. And I think the the, the the takeaway, I completely agree with what you just said. And that was going to be my last takeaway on the film was that there is a feeling that Pele was trapped, right? Because Uh, The politicians are trying to use him. He's such an important instrument of nationalism. And I know this, again, coming from an Indian culture where, um, although my parents are very (laughs) so Americanized, maybe more so than me, uh, they don't see it that that they don't see that in developing nations, you need to have some degree of nationalism and national pride as a a source of unity and a source of togetherness and and pushing forward. I mean, I think the concept of nationalism in the developing world is very different than in the West, uh, which uh, I can appreciate again coming from an Indian background even though my parents have become very Americanized with that and kind of look down on Indian nationalism I don't Um, I appreciate Pele and that 1970 World Cup team as an instrument of Brazilian pride Brazilian nationalism and unfortunately you had uh, a not so great um, political situation in the country but he was very much a prisoner of it now uh, it's easy for me to say sitting in the United States sitting as kind of a, a left left the person in the United States, how much I love Maradona and appreciate everything he did. And then, you know, Pele, uh, he was he sold out. I'm not going to make that judgment, right? I understand it's difficult. Yes, I appreciate Maradona's politics more, but that does not mean that, um, that Pele did anything wrong. I think it's just, it was just a circumstance. It was the moment. And you're talking about an entire nation's expectation based around him. And keep in mind, he's of African descent. Keep in mind, he's black. That makes it much more difficult maybe to take a very principled stand. And I think that that's something you can't forget in all of this.
1: Yeah, this one was different than I thought it would be. Though I, I didn't. I mean, I, I had no expectations Me going too. in I, there. I thought it was going to be about his playing career. Me <laughs> That's too. What I did when I turned it on last night. Me too. And, and it starts off that way. It starts off in the beginning, saying like, you know, he was born in nineteen forty from a poor, uh, poor environment, and starts, and then it's him starting to tell the story about his father and, and his parents and his sister and et cetera, And how his dad was a footballer, and I thought, which I was fine by that with that. And but then it takes a turn. Then it gets it does get political. It does get heavy. Um, but 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 to me, at the end of the day, this is a side of the Pele story that I've never seen before. This is something new. You I mean we we've read about, we've heard about, we've we've you I mean written about uh, Pele uh, throughout his lifetime as a, as a professional footballer. And, and this was different. So yeah, full credit to the, the filmmakers. Uh, if you get a chance, check it out. It's on Netflix. Like I said, it is a little bit long, It looks a little bit slow in places. But uh, if you, you want, really want to enrich your knowledge of Pelé and see a different side to the story and, and learn more about Brazil and, and the changes, which I wasn't aware of the, the changes in, in you mean the 64 uh, and onwards. Um, yeah, really, really uh, highly recommended. Now, Kartik, as far as what we watched from this past week, of course, we mentioned Pelé. Um, if if is there anything else that stood out. One thing I, I do want to mention is, uh, <laughs> I mean, to me, Danny Higginbotham is the star of the show at NBC Sports. Yep. Um, not only because of his knowledge, but he has a really fresh ap- approach. So for me, this it's been years and years of listening to the two Robbies. Both of them are great guys, very knowledgeable. Um, but when they talk, sometimes it seems robotic. It seems that, I mean, we've heard those things before where they're talking about being in the dressing room and, and the feeling that they get before a big match and, I mean, whatever the in- instance is. We've heard those stories so many times and that their analysis to me has become predictable. It's not that it's bad, it's just it's predictable. And this past weekend was another example of just how good Danny Higginbotham was, uh, particularly uh, on a topic that's uh, near and dearer to your heart, Kar- Kartik.
2: Yeah, so finally, someone in the media st- stood up and said, you know what, Leicester City's been ravaged by injuries, and it's amazing the job Brendan Rodgers has done, because uh, this has been my frustration. and my I hit my boiling pan- point, as I mentioned last week on the podcast, with NVC, in whenever Liverpool played Leicester the previous time, the first time, in late October, early November, when they spent a half an hour on Van Dijk being out and this Liverpool guy and that Liverpool guy, not even mentioning that Leicester had half their 11 out for that match, including Ndidi, who, who I consider as influential, if not more so than... Uh, um, than uh, Vardy. In fact, James Madison may have been out for that match also, now that I think about it. <laughs> I mean, we know how good he is. So finally, someone talked about the, the job Rodgers has done when the uh, majority of Lester's preferred 11. In fact, almost everyone, not the majority, almost everybody in what you would consider uh, Roger's preferred 11 outside of the goalkeeper or so, the preferred 10 in the field has missed at least four Premier League matches with injury. Now, as badly as Liverpool has been decimated by injuries, and I I agree with some of the people who push back on me, I have to concede that point, that yeah, maybe some of it is that it's all in one position for Liverpool or it's all in two positions, right, central midfield and central defense. So it's right in the spine. But I don't think any other club in the Premier League has had – Nine out of their 10 top players in the field you know, miss four matches or more. That's where Leicester City is, and they're sitting third in the table. So I'm glad Danny Higginbottom stepped up and said that. Gave that to the American audience who who has not heard that on NBC before, has not uh, heard it on Sky, has only seen it from my tweets, which, you know, I have some followers on Twitter, but not nearly as many as people who watch NBC. And then um, also was appreciated the fact that for some reason, maybe they're watching the U.S. coverage. Max Rushton picked up on that point on Monday on the Guardian Football Weekly podcast, and then started talking about, my gosh, you know, Leicester, this is amazing considering how many guys they've had injured throughout the course of this season that they're doing so well, even though um, (laughs) that had been glossed over before. I I mean, Football Weekly has talked more about Leicester than NBC has, or Sky has, but Mm -hmm. still they've glossed over the injuries. So uh, really props to Danny Higginbottom, and he's uh, saved NBC's coverage this season because I think we we had come to the conclusion and – Believe it or not, Chris, I know we got, we've gotten a lot of pushback and we've talked about this before, but now I've noticed on Twitter, anytime I say something critical of NBC, there are more people uh, agreeing with me than, than ever. Um, the loss of Kyle Martino, the loss of Steve Bauer, the loss of Neil Ashton, it's all had a cumulative effect where their coverage has been largely unwatchable their bumper programming and now a big comeback this week with Danny Higginbottom, uh, a big comeback the last several weeks with him, although they will lose him at some point to the Philly union when, and uh, MLS season starts. And also one other quick note, um, Micah Richards uh, uh, conversation on racism. If you didn't check that out, hopefully there's a way you can see it on NBCSports.com because it was fantastic. Uh, That was at uh, that followed the Monday match, the crystal palace, Brighton match.
1: All right, let's look ahead to this weekend. As far as recommendations, I think last weekend I had the Merseyside derby, which paid off, right? <laughs> the first win for Everton in, in more than a decade. And then I think you had the Inter game, which was, uh, if I remember correctly, uh, I mean, that was a good game too, but definitely uh, Inter putting the foot down uh, and, and definitely le- leading the charge. Now, looking into this weekend, I'm I'm going Karthik with Chelsea against Manchester United on Sunday. Uh, 11.30 kickoff on NBCSN, and uh, Chelsea looking really good under uh, Tuchel. And of course, uh, Manchester United flying uh, like crazy too. So I think this should be a really interesting match between two sides that are not go- not going to be your uh, Jose Mourinho parking the bus. I think this will be a little bit more open and back and forth, so I think this will be a good good one to watch. Uh, what about you? What, what are you looking forward to?
2: Yeah, I'm looking forward to Roma, Milan. Uh, Milan now kind of teetering on the brink. They've, they've been punching above their weight this season. Uh, there were there were some moments in, in the derby on Sunday where when it was 1-0, really, beginning of the second half, where it looked like they might get back into the match. Uh, Ibra had a chance. Normally he would bury. Uh, but I think they're teetering on the brink of collapsing. Potentially, Roma is one of the teams that could potentially take advantage of that and put themselves in the title race if they can win this match. So uh, that's Sunday, two forty-five PM on ESPN Plus.
1: All right, let's move on to t- uh, TV streaming news. And uh, in addition to the news that we've already announced in the first segment about Paramount Plus getting a lot more rights. Uh, coming this May, Paramount Plus will premiere the documentary series entitled Sir Alex Ferguson, Never Give In, which tells the story of the legendary manager. Uh, there's been some, some clips circulating, I think, on, on social media uh, that show kind of a trailer for this. And it looks looks really, really good. And and just one of the most fascinating stories um, in, in world football, really. Uh, from his days in Scotland as a player, uh, as well as the the testing ground in Scotland as a manager, uh, achieving incredible results with Aberdeen and then, of course, uh, moving to Manchester United. Uh, that one I'm looking forward to. Also, Paramount Plus will uh, bring fans a new documentary series called Stories from the Beautiful Game. Which is produced by Pete Radovich, who is the the top uh, CBS Sports uh, producer for the UEFA Champions League and uh, a person we've interviewed uh, quite a few times for World Soccer Talk. So, there's two more things to look forward to, and um, there may be more in the future too. Kartik, now yeah. Ka- go ahead, like Kartik, you you've got a, a piece of news too. So go ahead. Oh, yeah. So I'm, I'm hearing from two
2: sources. One says it's confirmed. One says uh, it's likely. So take that for what it's worth. And maybe you'll know by the time you listen to this podcast that uh, it looks like the March 6th uh, Dortmund-Bayern uh, match. This is the match that will be at the Allianz, right? They've already played this earlier this season at Dortmund, will be moved to ABC. It's a 1230 p.m. U.S. kickoff, uh, U.S. Eastern time kickoff. Uh, 6.30 Central European time. It's the, uh, it's the premier game of that weekend. Had been wondering why we hadn't seen any more Bundesliga matches on uh, linear television. Looks like they were waiting for this. So it uh, might be official by the time you hear this. Uh, March 6th, it's not, it, it appears like ESPN will move that or ES, e, e, ESPN Networks will move that match to ABC.
1: In other news, uh, Fanatis, uh, the streaming service, has added uh, Central America TV, which is a, a Central American TV station, which means that uh, Fanatis, in addition to having b in sports and Goal TV, uh, the Argentine League in Spanish, uh, the Brazilian League in Portuguese, etc., they will now also have um, games for El Salvador, Honduras, and Costa Rica, those national leagues uh, exclusively on fanatis. So check that out if you haven't done so. And then uh, in the news uh, section, the last but not least, we want to know how we're doing. So in terms of the podcast, uh, what you like, what you don't like, what are your favorite segments, uh, etc. So we want to hear from you. We want to find out uh, how we're doing. So at the end of this podcast, uh, we'll include the link to go ahead. Well, actually, actually, I'll I'll mention it now. So if you go to worldsoccertalk.com and go to the homepage, uh, you'll see on the banner ads on the side, on the sidebar, there's a big uh, banner ad in yellow that says, tell us how we're doing. And uh, if you enter, you've got a chance of winning a $100 gift card from World Soccer Shop. So $100 gift card from World Soccer Shop. So if you want to, you can buy your that favorite football shirt that you've always been wanting to buy, scarves, hats, gear, merchandise, whatever it may be. So uh, go ahead and enter the survey and let us know how we're doing. And uh, by filling out the survey, you will be automatically entered into the drawing uh, where one lucky person will get a $100 gift card from World Soccer Shop. What about you Carter do you have anything on your wish list as far as any shirts what about that paisley uh Manchester City uh away shirt or third shirt that uh
2: <laughs> so uh the, the the commentary about that shirt again uh, uh on uh on Sunday was uh or Saturday whenever the, the Arsenal match was Sunday another... uh was, was tremendous i mean i i i there's some strange things that uh that uh Puma has produced for Manchester City. I'm not, not even sure what what that is, but it obviously it must have some sort of following because it is it is soliciting conversation, I suppose.
1: Yeah, when I saw that, I mean, I've seen it many times, but but this this past weekend reminded me of that shirt. But I, I, anytime I see that, I always think back to say the footballers from the 1970s or 80s what they would if they were able to go into a time machine and go go to the 2021 and see that shirt what their uh what their reaction would be because that that is just so different than say football shirts or soccer shirts from back in the day so uh yeah yeah actually it's a nice design but uh but I'm sure I'm knowing you Karthik you'll have something else on your list uh, not that one
2: no,
1: I not have that one. <laughs> Correct. All right, moving on to TV ratings. Um, some big numbers from this past week, which is great news. And uh, first up is the Barcelona PSG uh, round of 16 match, uh, the first leg there. Uh, it was on Univision and Tuduene in Spanish language. Uh, that game averaged 1.07 million viewers to become become the most watched Champions League round of 16 game ever. On U.S. television, regardless of language, uh, it was also on CBS Sports Network, but those numbers are not available. But uh, over one million people tuning in to watch that game, which was a three o'clock kickoff during office hours uh, on a weekday, so so great numbers there. In Cardiff, there's some good numbers too for uh, for the U.S. women's national team.
2: Yeah, some outstanding numbers, which also we have to put in the context of the men's numbers we talked about a few weeks ago, right? And and this this is just a very straight-up comparison. FS1 on Sunday evening, U.S. Women's National Team versus Brazil in the She Believes Cup. 568,000 568, viewers, 498,000 on Thursday night on FS1 for the U.S. Women's National Team against Canada. Compare this to the Sunday mid-afternoon good time slot where the U.S. got what, whatever that number was against Trinidad and Tobago. Like 270,000, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. And, and you could say, oh, well, the, this is the She Believes Cup, but it, it's really, they're really kind of friendlies too. So, uh, and in fact, they have to... Uh, they had to alter the tournament at the last minute because Japan wasn't able to travel. So Argentina was invited and that kind of changed um, changed the schedule a little bit. But uh, great numbers, fantastic numbers. And, and I think, again, and we've talked about this a little bit even with when CBS showed NWSL matches over the air uh, during the fall that those numbers are very comparable if not better than a lot of MLS numbers on linear television and now we're seeing it with the women's national team clearly better numbers if you go like for like versus the men's national team the women don't have the kind of qualifying process that the men do which is why I've I've found for so long the arguments of people who are defending unequal pay and, and the men making more money was so disingenuous was because the process is different uh, for qualifying for the women. So they would always talk about, oh, well, the men's qualifier against Mexico got three million viewers, most of whom were probably watching because of Mexico. But um, this is very – this is a like-for-like comparison, more of a like-for-like comparison. We're seeing the women's national team far more popular than the men's national team right now, holding much more interest among just average American soccer fans.
1: When the U.S. failed to beat uh, Trinidad and Tobago uh, to qualify for the the 2018 uh, World Cup, we did a podcast immediately the day after. And I think at that point, we called it the darkest hour in U.S. soccer history. And I just wonder, Kartik, as far as um, not qualifying for the 2018 World Cup, I mean, this obviously has had some significant damage on the morale and the support for the, the men's team and i just wonder how many years it's going to take to to get get it back to where it was before um and and even qualifying, qualifying if they do for the 2022 world cup which we hope they will um it still could be a setback unless they actually progress further and, and and do better than than what they've done in the past uh i i think it's just a huge step backwards uh missing out on the 2018 world cup
2: Yeah, and I I don't think that it it, it recovers that quickly. I mean, there's been a a lot of uh, propaganda of late saying, well, this is some sort of golden generation of American players and uh, they're going to be better than ever. So that was a a step back, but we're going to be stronger than ever coming back. There's absolutely no evidence of that uh, at the international level. And uh, yes, we have some top Americans playing uh, at, at big clubs of uh, West McKinney has been playing phenomenally mm-hmm. for Juventus of late. Uh, Pirlo has figured out how to use them, but uh, beyond him, <laughs> no, I think there's still a lot more. There's still a lot of question marks about just about every other American player in the men's national team pool beyond McKinney right now, if you ask me. So yep. yeah, it could be a long time. And I think the women captured the imagination of n- casuals and non-soccer fans in this country in a way that uh, the U S men probably never will.
1: Yeah. And it keeps on building. I mean, with the women women continuing to win the, the Women's World Cup, um, that fan base c- continues to grow, as, as, as does the popularity of women's soccer, too. Uh, next up is Lister Mailbag. Uh, RJ goes first. He says, I've noticed you mentioned the requirement for over-the-air broadcasters to air youth-oriented programming and also public affairs programming. Is that a weekend morning requirement or is that just when the networks prefer to do it? Due to lower than normal viewership figures in that time frame,
2: um, that he, he he's correct. It's a requirement that they air a certain number of hours a week, and that's why they do it in that in those uh, time periods because that's when there's lower than usual viewership. Um, But that's why I think it's difficult to show live sports regularly. Obviously, we've seen exceptions where NBC has shown final Premier League match of the season at 10 a.m. or or Wimbledon back in the days when it was on NBC. They would show, well, French Open still, they would show at 9 a.m. and the Open Championship from the the UK on uh, ABC. Uh, now on NBC. But generally, you don't want to have to move that stuff into a, a time slot where you would get higher ratings with even like program reruns. So that's why. So yeah, that's a very good question, RJ. I should have uh, uh, explained that better previously, but it's not, it's not a requirement that they show it on Sunday morning or on Saturday morning. It's just when it happens because that's uh, when you need to fill the time.
1: Soccer Heretic says, I want to make a counterpoint about the difference between paywall anger at Peacock and CBS, but not at ESPN. I think it has more to do with the way ESPN's soccer audience has been conditioned over the course of years about how its platform is operated. And most of the leagues they're bringing in never have been uh, on linear TV or there have been unfettered access previously to leagues. ESPN Plus has always presented this content as tier three properties through their streaming platform. NBC and CBS have newer streaming operations of uh, comparable size. They're having to convert fans to accepting the new normal, whereas ESPN presented it as the status quo from the beginning. Good point there, Karthik. I think there is a lot of that to it, where... I think we've, we've heard this so many times, especially with NBC's coverage of uh, the Premier League. Uh, in the past, we had everything. I mean, if you had a cable subscription uh, and you were able then to get uh, NBC Sports Live Extra, you had access to every single match and you got conditioned to having it in quotation marks for free with your cable subscription, uh, every single game live and on demand and then slowly but surely it changed and to where we are today where 45% of the matches are on Peacock and then the rest are on mostly on NBCSN but some of them on NBC and you're having to have two subscriptions. So now you feel that you've been cheated. Whereas um, with Soccer Heretic mentions, I think the ESPN audience has been conditioned uh, to, I mean, to see ESPN Plus as basically kind of a value add.
2: Yeah, I agree with that. Uh, real quickly, I should have mentioned this earlier in the show. Another complaint about Peacock this weekend is uh, Sunday they had all four matches back-to-back-to-back on Peacock. That's fine. Uh What's not fine is that once the matches, you can't just put it on a on a stream on Peacock and it naturally go to the studio program and then to the next match. Right. You then have to exit out and then find the other stream and then go to that. So that's something if they're going to keep the Premier League rights beyond next season and they're going to do more of it on Peacock which they will if they keep the rights uh, they, they've got to figure out because that's uh, I think for those of us who are accustomed to keeping things on on a single channel SN and, and obviously uh, we could have done that on Saturday right with SN it's very complicated
1: mm-hmm. RBO says on Paramount Plus and other streaming service services having movies and other entertainment and maybe soccer Serie A it might be good for some but I don't want all that other stuff just soccer Streaming services are becoming like cable satellites. To get one thing, you have to get a bundle with a whole bunch of other stuff that's non-soccer related. Uh, that's why I like ESPN+. I don't have to get the bundle uh, to get sports. If CBS Paramount had the package just with soccer... And the price was the same as ESPN Plus. I could see value. I'm not a streaming person, but for me to watch the Bundesliga, it was on ESPN Plus or nothing. So far, I'm happy with the service, and it works with my DSL. Keep sports as a standalone package. Uh, if if I was uh, CBS, an executive, I would probably say, but RBO, the the price point for Paramount Plus, CBS All Access, is the same price as ESPN Plus but you get movies, you get uh TV shows, you get original programming, you get access to your local CBS, you get CBS Sports HQ. And and now now with this podcast, now we know that you'll get uh US qualifiers, you'll get you mean the Argentine League, the Brazil Brazilian League. Yes, you have to kind of hunt and peck through that content to find what you're looking for. Um but still it's interesting that um In some ways, kind of having something that's exclusively sports uh, does make it a unique selling proposition. And I think maybe talking about last week's podcast, why so many people just love ESPN Plus is because in some ways it's simpler. I mean, it's less confusing. It's just they do sports and that's all they do.
2: And everybody is trying to react to everybody else, I think. Uh, I've noticed since Discovery Plus launched at the beginning of January, I have seen more uh, documentaries pop up on what is now CBS All Access, what will be Paramount Plus in a couple of weeks. So uh, I I think, and I'm sure if I poked around Peacock, I'd find the same thing, right? Everybody is reacting to everybody else in this streaming universe. And yeah, maybe ESPN Plus is just a very simple niche thing that that makes uh, fans more comfortable.
1: Yeah, yeah, definitely. A good point. Ryan Hawkins says, uh, somehow we are about a year and a half out from the Qatar World Cup. If you and Kartik had to put together your picks for four announcer pairings uh, and teams for Fox, who would you slot into those roles and a studio team? Any interesting unattached names that they could bring in for a major tournament as a one-off hire to bolster their coverage? And uh, Kartik, for me personally, I'm not ready to go ahead and kind of name my recommendations of who they should get. Instead, I would say that um, I think it's pretty predictable that they're probably going to go with the standard set of commentators that they've been using. Um, Fox has had budget cuts, as have a lot of the other major sports uh, networks and studios. And I wouldn't be surprised, I could almost bet on it, that it's going to be John Strong and Stu Holden for the, the World Cup final and for the opening game, and for all the u s men 's national team games, and then you 're going to have uh, j p Camera doing many of the games you 're going to have Derek Ray doing many of the games, and you 'll have ali wagner you 'll have uh, daniel Sl- Slayton um, you pretty much the usual suspects i, I don 't see them going out and making any strong bids to try to bring in some top talent to bolster their coverage um, to them it's always has been and always will about the U.S. men's national team and I think uh, that's the main focus the rest of the countries they don't really care as much about um, I mean that is their the, the forte and, that, and that's what they're going in with what about you Karthik Do you, could you see foresee any, any big changes there or any differences perhaps?
2: Yeah, maybe they just uh, mail it in, and they use uh, the English language uh, uh, world feed from FIFA, uh, uh, except for U.S. games and and uh, and uh, semifinals and finals, where they they send strong and Holden. I mean, I could see Fox. Doing any number of cost-cutting things, especially since they are effectively out of the uh, of the of the club game outside of uh, MLS. And let's see. I mean, they, this is in in November 2022. By that time, they may have lost the MLS rights. Also, it's possible. So uh, I don't know what their their level of institutional commitment is to uh, uh, this competition and. Uh, I, again, I mean, I saw 2019 the Women's World Cup not covered from my perspective as well as they did in 2015 with the Women's World Cup. So that, to me, is already a level of regre- regression. The U.S. wins both those tournaments, so it had nothing to do with the U.S.'s presence. Then I, I'm worried that 18 uh, World uh, Men's World Cup, uh, which I, I think – for most of us, was inadequate. I, I will admit, I watched most of the World Cup in Spanish, so maybe maybe I, I'm not
1: Lucky the right you. person
2: to critique Fox. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs>
1: right. I had to endure my my time watching it in English. Yeah, on Fox. but
2: it was it was not at anywhere near the level of of of, uh, of production that and quality that we were accustomed to from ESPN. So uh, I just think about them backsliding from there. That would be my expectation. I think even well, their coverage of MLS isn't as strong as it was. 2 3 years ago and i and i and i feel bad for uh for John Strong and Stu Holden because i think that it, we it, i know a lot of our listeners don't like them but i, I think that they're they're very good if put in the right situation and right circumstance and that's becoming rarer and rarer on fox
1: for yeah. them. Yeah and I, I like both of them that they're not the best at what they do but they're definitely very strong i mean uh, <laughs> no pun intended John Strong is <laughs> right. very strong and Stu Holden's very strong too but uh you know I mean I I think I mean in terms of who's available in the US, um, they're two of the best at that level. You I mean if you if you're looking for American commentators and American co commentators, uh, that are available, those are two of the best. So I think that's a smart move. But but for twenty twenty two World Cup though, I wouldn't be surprised if they don't do a studio in in Qatar. They might say, Hey, let's do a studio in LA and um and just do the coverage from here and we'll have most of the people doing the, the commentating from a, a studio in Los Angeles from the Fox Studios and and maybe then we'll send out John Strong and uh, Stu Holden for the US games and maybe send out a reporter or two and then you mean I, I, I just don't see them putting a lot, a lot of um, money and budget into this one I think they're, they're, if anything they're going to be saving it for the the 2026 World Cup.
2: Yeah, and, and I want to remind our listeners that uh, uh, Fox bailed out on the U.S. Open uh, golf, uh, the, their long-term contract with the USGA uh, in the middle of the COVID pandemic, just similar to what Turner did with, with Champions League and NBC assumed that. Um, The remainder of Fox's deal, in addition to um, the next uh, uh, the the next set of years after that, so that to me is an indication. Now, maybe things are are different once the pandemic is over. That Fox is was looking to scale down and cut costs uh, as quickly as possible by dumping one of their marquee sports properties uh, on uh, on NBC. So, uh, from from Fox, dumping it from Fox and then end up on NBC. So that's something that has me worried about how they're going to produce this uh, this world cup especially when they see the poor ratings for the u.s men's national team maybe it's just not in their interest the only mitigating factor against that chris is of course 2026 is in the u.s or in north america and uh maybe they want to ramp up for that uh maybe
1: it's four years though i mean four four years is a long time i mean even if they put in kind of a a half-assed effort for a 2020, 2022 World Cup. I don't think uh, it would damage the 2026 World Cup. Um, if anything, I, I can see them putting more of an effort into the 2023 Women's World Cup in Australia and New Zealand, and um, with with the U.S. having a good chance to win that one and, and perhaps put yeah. more of an effort into like, a studio presence, etc. Lastly, uh, David says, uh, do you think there will be streaming options to access major international tournaments in the future? If my memory serves me correctly, Euro 2016 was shown on ESPN, and I do not think that there was a streaming option at that time like ESPN+. Plus. Will Euro 2020 this summer have any games accessible on ESPN+, Plus, or do you think um, getting the traditional linear ES- ESPN, ESPN2, etc. will be necessary? So for Euro 2020 uh, this summer, this is going to be, I mean, the major games, uh, we don't know how many yet, but the major games will be on ABC. So you you can expect probably the opening game, probably the final, maybe a couple of other games on ABC. Uh, Most of them then would be on ESPN. Uh, Some of them would be on ESPN2. And as far as streaming goes, I'm not seeing ESPN Plus as being kind of a, a main thrust for this summer's um, competition, uh, this is a great opportunity for, um, for ESPN to go ahead and get some big numbers on on the TV side. I mean, in terms of uh, some big TV ratings for a massive international tournament and um, streaming probably would be available through ESPN3. Um, I just see it being as a big TV push, perhaps the, big, the last big TV push for ESPN for a major European tournament like this
2: yeah I, I mean keep in mind they have to uh, uh they have to fill certain programming hours uh inter, uh for their for their cable providers uh, with live sports programming on uh linear television and i'm 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 not sure uh, I guess they they would have lost some uh of the end well the, the n b a season did tip off uh before, so maybe they will get their full allotment in twenty twenty one but there's there, i don't think i think they 're going to have most of the matches, if not all the matches on television for that reason yeah uh, that just in case which is why, for instance, I know uh I talked about this with someone the other day that uh P- why were there so many serial matches on ESPN towards the end of last season after the restart? Because the NHL had suspended play. Well, NHL's not ESPN, sorry. The NBA had suspended play. College basketball didn't finish. They weren't sure about college football at that point, even though they ended up having a, 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 at least a partial season. Um, they showed every serial match they could, if you remember, for three or four weeks. We, we, heard, yep. we heard Brock Donaldson and Matteo Benetti every day. Um, they were doing six, six, seven matches a week because they had to fit that, uh, fill that live programming bill that, that they owe to uh, cable and satellite providers. So uh, I, I would expect because of, of COVID and maybe they're falling short on some sports. I'm not sure if they are, but they might. Uh, given that the pandemic hasn't run its course yet, I, I think they'll show every match. Uh, so the streaming we're going to look at for 24 probably for the Euros.
1: Right. Yeah, and that's the thing though too. Even like last season, uh, for Major League Soccer, a bunch of those games were going to be on ABC. It was going to be double headers. It was going to be I don't know LA Galaxy. Well, that's right.
2: They lost a bunch of MLS games too. That's part of the reason. exactly to show so many serial matches. That's it's, right. Exactly.
1: It would have been like you know, I don't know Italy against Poland, and then followed by you know LA against whoever. And um, and those games ended up being because those games weren't played, and those games weren't shown on ABC. We ended up getting what the England Iceland game, um, the qualifier for. for Croatia
2: for... Portugal was on ABC.
1: Exactly, exactly. Some some, yeah, I mean some some big big games, but definitely uh, not what was intended originally. So so yeah, ABC, ESPN, ESPN two is going to go is going to be the go to place uh, this summer. But if you are a cord cutter, I mean those channels are available through Fubo TV and Sling Orange. Just as two examples, and probably YouTube TV also, uh, as well as Hulu Plus Live TV. There's a bunch of different streaming options, uh, even if you are a cold cutter, to watch those games. All right, listeners, we want you to have your say. So we want to uh, hear from you in terms of any questions you have, any feedback, any observations, uh, any um, pet peeves about some of your favorite commentators or some of your favorite uh, Uh, soccer channels etc let us know we would love to hear from you Uh, you can always reach us via email through web at worldsoccertalk.com as well as facebook.com slash worldsoccertalk and on twitter at worldsoccertalk plus of course you can always post your comments at worldsoccertalk.com and then just a reminder, so if you do want to go ahead and uh, get entered into the contest, uh, one lucky person will get a $100 gift card from World Soccer Shop. Uh, so you can buy whatever you want to buy. Uh, just go to worldsoccertalk.com and then click on the uh, – there's a big yellowish, greenish uh, banner on the right sidebar that says, uh, tell us how we're doing. And feel free to give us your honest uh, opinions about the podcast and what we can do better and what you, what things you like uh what things you don't like etc Iconic, are we forgetting anything, or did do, do we cover all bases uh, on this episode?
2: I, I think we covered all bases on this episode, and I'm thinking there are going to be a lot of people excited about the Paramount Plus uh, announcement, just to wrap up on that. And, yeah. and the fact that also it's going to be, uh, you're going to have uh, uh, some mainstream coverage of, of Brazil and Argentina, two leagues that I think people who have watched Copa Libertadores have been like, uh, in, this is just in the last month, saying, you know, we wish we saw more of those leagues. So um, those are going to be mainstreamed now.
1: It, it does signal, though, Kartik. It does signal the at some point the end of being sports. Because these, these are rights yes. that being sports yes. would have been all over them in the past. They would have said, like, Hey, English language Braz- Brazilian, fantastic. Argentine, we'd, we'll take it. Uh, the, the, the World Cup qualifiers, we'd love to have those. And I think at this point, it's I know BN Sports officially would say we're not bidding on any rights because of uh, piracy and how 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 blatant piracy is around the world and how much money uh, companies are losing from buying rights to you know, whichever competitions they are uh, at, at just huge prices when piracy is a major issue. And while that is a valid reason. I think it is masking an effort by being sports overall to say, you know what, let's just keep on doing what we're doing. Let's uh, let's have the Copa Libertadores. Let's go ahead and, and show La Liga and Liga and, and Copa Sudamericana. Um, but let's keep our budgets tight and let's go all the way through till the end of the World Cup in 2022, um, and then maybe in the early 2023. Maybe at that point, then we kind of revisit our goals because you know, what do we do from here on? I mean, yes, they have the Spanish rights through twenty twenty four for La Liga, but this is a warning sign, I think, for being sports for anyone that's kind of thinking that being sports is going to be a player. Here's a perfect example of a, a newbie coming in and acquiring acquiring rights that in the past, being sports would have been definitely trying to get at least.
2: Yeah and and I, I, I one of the things i didn't mention is what maybe my favorite match of the week was uh was uh Nico Kovac, who you saw his final match at Bayern in person, right? When you went to that match, right. the Eintracht match against Bayern a, a year and a half ago. Uh, really a redemption job with Monaco this season. Um, beating PSG the other day, creating a four way title race in, in, in uh, France. Four teams within six points, a little or top of the table right now. Uh, really good young, a uh, uh, young little team with a young core, with a couple of good experienced players. Uh, but uh, because they're on BN, no one is talking about it in this country. Everyone's kind of just, you know, gloss, glossing it over, uh, t- t- to be honest. So, uh I think about the French league and and the ties between uh, uh, PSG and 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 BN through through Qatar et cetera and, and maybe that league is going to end up being the biggest loser of all of this because uh, uh, they're tied to to BN until the BN ship goes down. Whereas La Liga, as we've talked about, maybe can can get off of BN or get at least some matches off of BN and onto ESPN or wherever in the very near future.
1: Yeah, that's probably a, a good idea for a, uh, a title name for this podcast episode uh, until the Be In Sports ship goes down because, uh, yeah, I, I would be concerned definitely if I'm BN Sports or, or if I work for Be Sports, just seeing that they're not really doing what they should be doing if they're looking to really grow the network. It's, it's almost as if they've given up or that they don't have any big uh, goals or initiatives at this point other than just trying to – you mean, yes, the whole Comcast distribution and the whole DirecTV distribution really hurts them, but that, we're now going on, what, a couple of years since those things have happened, and uh, the likelihood yeah. of being sports being added back to those at this point is practically zero.
2: And I do know that they did talk to Octagon about NWSL when o- uh, Octagon shopped the rights and it obviously ended up on CBS, as we talked about earlier in the show. So they were still trying to acquire properties that they thought might get them back on the cable systems, because obviously if you have NWSL in this country, you have a very vocal uh, supporter space that would then want to see that that, uh, that property on cable and not have to buy uh, Sling or whatever to get but, it or Fubo. But, but that's
1: the thing that but, um, I...
2: they failed at that, and I, I just don't think there are many, more chips for them to play, honestly.
1: But but, but that's the the thing, though, Imagine if today's announcement was that BN Sports has acquired the away rights for the the World Cup qualifiers and has uh, acquired the Brazilian rights in English as well as the Argentine rights in English. What would the reaction be among soccer fans? Anger. Yeah. They'd be like, oh my gosh, I can't believe BN Sports. They suck. I don't have any access to them. I can't get it. Nobody has it. And yet, Paramount Plus... Yes, they are a streaming service, um, but b in sports is available probably, uh, absolutely, through more streaming services than Paramount Plus is. Yeah. And,
2: um, you mean... It, the, the Paramount name, right? Everybody knows that name from watching well, movies, I
1: guess. But that's the Maybe thing... That's why. The, well, but that's the thing. I think with b in sports the, the name is tarnished. The name in this country, yeah. uh, unfortunately, I mean, yes... Uh, the, the, the sad truth of it is that BN Sports probably broadcasts more soccer games than any other network, other than maybe 2 NA. And actually, it's actually even more than 2 2 NA. Every weekend, they've got um, almost all the games from France, almost all the games from Turkey, all the games from Spain, and then Copa Libertadores, Copa Sudamericana. They've got uh, African. Uh, African Nations Cup. They've got African Nations Championship. They've got a ton of content. They've got a ton of soccer coverage. And actually, I, w- I would say they have more coverage than any- anyone else. Maybe maybe ESPN+. Plus. Maybe that's the only one that, that's actually... That is the big now. run. Now, now. Yeah.
2: Until, until uh, six months ago, nine months ago, BN had more than they did. And yeah. there were studio shows, they were doing uh, uh, really... High quality stuff, but then they've started. They still have, you know, George Metalos and a few of the other top people, but most of their top people have left. Right? Um, there's yeah. been an outflow of talent, and uh, and uh, that's also the other thing because I think even though they still have all this content, Chris, uh, one of the things we've learned doing this podcast is that a lot of fans are very attached to talent and personalities. And when you have Kay Murray leaving, you have Jeremy St. Louis leave and you have Kevin Egan leave and you have a uh, uh, Matteo Bonetti leave Ian on Troy. and on and on. Right. Uh, people just think, okay, BN is uh, their, are past news. They're done. I think uh, even though I they're still she, broadcasting. So yeah. um, also the loss of talent at BN uh, gave, painted a very poor picture it is a completely tarnished name you're you're correct
1: i I think i think it's more to do with actually just streaming though because i mean bean sports connect still exists it's still a standalone streaming product that you can subscribe to and and watch a lot of these games through um but it's still buggy i mean it's been buggy for years it's it's gone through different versions for years it's never been reliable it was for a while running on Microsoft Silverlight, which most people couldn't actually play. There's been so many issues with that streaming service in this country, in, in the US. In other countries, it's been much, much better. So I, ultimately, I think that might be kind of the, almost like, not, not the final nail in the coffin, but it's in hindsight, looking at being sports and some of the mistakes that they have made, I think not having a low-cost streaming service that was reliable, that was as good as the ESPN+, that could offer all of this content uh, they don't they don't have it i mean they have been sports extra which is their free streaming service uh, but that doesn't have the vast majority of content that they have because that ha- that's on television so i think at the end of the day it's more business decisions it's more mistakes from uh distribution kind of uh mean well, i was just, i was gonna say agreements but a lack of agreements and just the way that they've done business in this country has ultimately hurt them. Um, they could have been much bigger and more successful if they played the cards, right. Um, which they did not. And, and, and hopefully they'll learn from mistakes. Hopefully they'll get more rights. Hopefully things will get better, but it just seems to be like, I mean, every six months there's just another, I mean, they, they lose something else or somebody else acquires something that they could have acquired. Um, Unfortunately, it just seems to be kind of step down, step down, and it, we're getting closer and closer to that 2022 World Cup in Qatar, which is going to be a, gr- a great opportunity for them to showcase that country and to talk about everything positive. Uh, but after that is done, after that World Cup is over, I'm I'm not sure what's left there for being sports.
2: So that's the consideration. You just nailed it, Chris. They are going to keep the station open until the World Cup in Qatar because be in is a is a showcase al jazeera is a showcase for cutter right we know this so i think their motivation will be to keep the channel open in the united states as a propaganda tool until december of 2022 and then we they may very quietly shut down they may have lost all their rights other than the french league and we have talked about the obvious reason why they will they they, they they have the french rights till 2024 and also the the cutter the connection there as to why they will keep the rights until they shut the channel down uh, but i think that that's the likely scenario now that they they play this string out till December of 22, and uh, uh, so that's what another year and a half, uh, almost two years, and then they shut down.
1: Yeah, and I think a lot of people uh, forget that uh, B-in Sports originally, before it launched as B-in Sports, was the Al Jazeera uh, channel, and. Yeah. Uh, that was the name of it that was kind of the working title for it i mean al jazeera and there's nothing wrong with al jazeera al jazeera as a a 24 7 news uh, brand has some good content i mean if anyone's ever kind of come across that channel there's some good content there from different parts of the world stories that you would never really hear much about um they, they do good work but um but that was the original name for the network and then they said okay you know what Let's call it Be in Sports, and this is a global brand. This is a global push that they ha- said, okay, we're going to have the the name of the channel being B in Sports, and that was like what I don't know, like like twelve years ago. Now it it, go- <laughs> it seems it doesn't seem that long ago, but it, it was a while ago. But, yeah, uh, I th- I think yeah, it was twenty
2: twenty twelve when they launched in the U.S. and yeah. they were. I mean, the assumption we 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 knew for a while Al Jazeera was going to put a sports network in the U.S. and they rebranded everything as being their channel in France, their f- channel in the Middle East and North Africa, uh, etc. And uh, uh, yeah, it was a it was a big push. But at the same time, they opened a news channel in the United States, which did some great work and hired some of the best. Television journalists in the country, uh, much like they hired great talent at BN Sport, uh, it, it, and they ha- ended up having to shutter that channel eventually. Yep. In fact, they had launched that channel I think before uh, they launched BN in the U.S. Yep. And they had to shutter that channel. And now, if you want Al Jazeera news in the U.S., you have to watch kind of the the UK feed, right? The uh, uh, and you can't watch it on it's not on. It, they were on all the it cable to systems be, too. Yeah, yeah. Now you have to watch it on uh, streaming.
1: Yeah, some, sometimes I, I haven't watched it in a while, but I've watched it on YouTube before, where it's like kind of a live stream. But uh, but yeah, there's a, there's a history lesson about being sports, and also kind of a, just some d- discussion and analysis about that network and about its current situation and some of the issues that it's had over the last several years, some of the mistakes it's made, and the position that it's in now. And I think a Paramount Plus indicates you mean ha- how troubled that network is unfortunately all right Karthik, uh we've got another big weekend coming up uh, we've got uh, matches from all the way around the world as always uh, what should you do and what should the listeners do enjoy your football